turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank Discussion with Passion on CJD 800. Tonight, it's our relationship hour, and we're going to talk about how trauma uh, affects relationships, uh, all different kinds of trauma. We can talk about uh, childhood trauma, how uh, maybe a rough childhood can affect your adult relationships, how people cope with unresolved trauma. Uh, We could talk about betrayal trauma as well and how that shows up. Uh, in our lives and how to cope. So I'd love to hear uh, some of your stories of traumas and how they have impacted your relationship. I hope uh, you will uh, you will share with us. But first, let's take a look at the inbox. Make a connection anytime at 514-800. So let me answer a couple of questions. This one may take a little longer because it's pretty... Um, in pretty detailed in terms of what I want to share with you. Uh, I dated a narcissistic guy for a few months. He was 15 years older than me and so charming at the beginning. Then came the little lies, the control, selfishness, etc. Why are narcissists so charming on the surface? Uh, he was so nice to others, his acquaintances and waitresses, etc. Also, do narcissists know that they are narcissists? So maybe we need to that that we need to just um, uh, clarify that word a little bit and define it because it gets thrown around quite a bit. You know, we hear people say, "Oh, they're just a narcissist." Oh, they're just so generally people when they say that in passing like that. They're talking about people who are self-absorbed and maybe selfish and what have you. But there are extremes of narcissism as well. If we look at narcissistic personality disorder, which is the extreme, let's say, you know, yes, pretty much extreme and not just a, a character uh, flaw, for example, or a character trait, uh, people with a narcissistic personality disorder tend to have a grandiose sense of self-importance. They tend to live in a world, uh, in a fantasy world, basically, that supports their delusions of grandeur. So they are they are delusional about how uh, great they are and how important they are. These are individuals that need a lot of praise and admiration. They are people who have a sense of entitlement. They exploit others without guilt or shame. So as you can imagine, the level of empathy and compassion is uh, way down. They have a tendency to demean others, to intimidate, to bully others or belittle others. Uh, they're basically in love with themselves. This, this is the myth of Narcissus, right? Who was in love with his own uh, reflection. Uh, but this is what they love. So it's very difficult for a narcissist to truly have uh, love and deep feelings for someone else. In fact, they often avoid uh, feeling and falling in love and being in love because of their... Uh, deep insecurity. So having this this grandiose image of themselves is a way to uh, avoid those same feelings of uh, of insecurity that they have. Usually they're described as cocky and manipulative and selfish and patronizing and demanding. 
It usually shows up in every area of life, by the way. It's not just in uh, relationships, but it can be seen in their relationships at work and their friendships and their families uh, and all of that. And, and there's a veneer, right? So what you're describing in your email is that, sure, he appears to be the the, the really nice guy with everybody, but it's a, a veneer. He wants to be... He's going to be nice to, let's say, the wait staff. He he feels superior to them. There's a superiority as well uh, with that. The problem is, is with change. They are very uh, resistant to changing their behaviors. So instead of taking ownership or looking towards themselves and saying, is there something wrong with me or could I do better? No. Instead, they blame others. It's other people's faults. There's, uh, you know, the word gaslighting comes in here where they make the other person feel like they're crazy, like there's something wrong with them. They react very badly to criticism, uh, even to the slightest criticisms or the slightest slights, in fact. Um, And oftentimes what happens is people who end up in relationships with narcissists tend to just go along with their demands. Why? Because they want to avoid the the coldness that would ensue if they disagreed, for example, or didn't go along, or uh, the the rages, the put-downs, all of that. It's unfortunate, but quite a number of people find themselves in relationships where they are with... uh, with narcissists and it's very, very toxic, uh, and very, um, damaging to the person who lives with a a narcissist. So remember that there's a couple of things. Sometimes at the beginning of a relationship, they present in such a way that it's like the fantasy, uh, You've heard me talk about love being love bombed. You know, they come out as they're the perfect person for you and they uh, put on a really big show at the beginning. Um, So they're very, very charming, very magnetic, um, but they create this fantastical, flattering image of themselves that tend to draw us in. So we're attracted to this extreme confidence, for example, or extreme, uh, they're ambitious, right? They, they talk about these big dreams and big things that they're going to do and, and all of that. And if you have, if your own self-esteem is, uh, shaky, for example, then this becomes even more seductive for you. So it's very easy to get caught up in this kind of, uh, of web. Um, but it is a fantasy. And then oftentimes it takes a while before you recognize that this isn't the true person, right? Uh, and little by little, once you start to see all the other behaviors, especially like the ones that this uh, texture was describing, the little lies, the control, the selfishness, um, <coughs> those come up with time. Um, so you need to understand that narcissists are takers. They will take from you. They will not give. And they do tend to seek out people who are, uh, who are more of the, uh, the givers. So make sure that you, uh, pay attention, understand that your needs won't be fulfilled with a person like that. They, um, narcissists aren't actually looking for 
a true partnership. They just want somebody who's going to be um, like an obedient admirer, for example. So that's the thing is they, they need you to boost their ego. So th- they will put you down in order for them to feel more inflated. And it gets to be, um, obviously, as you can imagine, very, very toxic. So it's very important that the person, that if you're, if you're with a narcissist, that you set, set really good boundaries um, for yourself. But you have to be prepared to make some changes for, uh, for yourself because the person, you know, oftentimes people will come to me saying, I I need my partner to change, uh, or they, they won't change or, or what have you. So that's part of the problem is that you can't expect them to change. So it means that you have to work on yourself and figure out how you can set healthy boundaries. Healthy boundaries also means uh, consequences to those boundaries. So um, if you do find yourself with a narcissist, get yourself help. Like go get, talk to somebody about this. There's a really, really good book that I would recommend. It's called The Human Magnet Syndrome, Why We Love the People Who Hurt Us. And it's uh, it really does talk about the dynamic between uh, the codependent, or as the author Ross Rosenberg says, uh, instead of codependent, he calls it the um, the person with self-love deficiency syndrome, um, and how they are attracted to those uh, narcissists who are the the takers, and then how to um, how to set those boundaries and how to sometimes extricate yourself from that kind of situation. Uh, which of course can be uh, quite traumatic to be in this kind of relationship. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight on our uh, relationship hour is uh, about the different types of uh, trauma and the impact that it has on relationships. A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. A relationship hour tonight. We're talking about uh, trauma and its impact on relationships. But uh, just before answering a question about narcissism, and I love this question, should a narcissist know if they are a narcissist? And actually... There was a study done uh, that was examining, like they, they give uh, surveys, right, to determine if somebody, not surveys, but a, like a questionnaire, 40-point questionnaire to determine where you fall in the narcissism scale. And what they found was there was one question that actually uh, is all you need to determine if the person is a narcissist. And the question was, to what extent do you agree with the statement, I am a narcissist? And they described the word narcissist means egotistical, self-focused, and vain. And it just so happens that... uh, it seems narcissists are are quite well aware of their narcissism, but narcissists also tend to be quite exhibitionistic. So they don't really care what you think. Uh, and they also don't think it requires any help because, well, they already think they're great. So there's no reason to improve themselves. Uh, so do you see where the, the whole thing is, right? It's a uh, fascinating to uh, to work with people. For me, anyway, I work with people who find themselves with narcissistic partners because the narcissists generally are not coming into treatment. 
so I always find it quite uh, quite fascinating. Uh, Texter writes, I was raised in a perpetual, intensely emotional, emotionally and physically abusive family and suspect my numerous yet short-lived relationships may have something to do with the fact, considering despite my highly affectionate, nurturing and loving personality, I'm nonetheless still somewhat phobic and distrusting of long-term commitment and hence possible toxic lifelong issues and rejection. And you've, in a nutshell, really stated exactly the kinds of trauma that we're talking about that absolutely has an impact on how we view the world, how we view relationships, how safe we feel in relationships, how trusting uh, we are in relationships, etc. So uh, I do want to explore this a little bit more. Uh, again, Dr. Lloyd, what is the name of that book? And does this talk about or apply to family relationships also, like mother-daughter? I think it does. It talks about uh, multiple relationships. It's worth looking into. It's not a very big book. It's called The Human Magnet Syndrome by Ross Rosenberg, and you can also find him on uh, on social media. Um, he's got some really, really interesting things to say. So what are we talking about trauma? Um, that could be anything from uh, a traumatic event, a circumstance a person endures. Maybe it's the uh, the sudden death of a loved one in, in, in adulthood. Could be some kind of a, a disaster they were involved in or a hate crime or some other kind of crime or violence. Uh, could be a sexual assault. It could be um, the trauma of having gone to war. It could be uh, the trauma of uh, uh, refugee circumstances, for example. It could be childhood abuse, and that's a, a different one that I want to also talk about. Um, but these are things that will, of course, affect... If, it, if you're in a relationship with somebody uh, who's been traumatized, you will inevitably be affected by that person's uh, trauma. It's it's inevitable. It's, it's, um, there's a lot of, uh, results or consequences in going through a trauma, even though you're, you can, you know, you can do a lot of the healing, etc. A lot of stuff stays in, uh, like somebody's expectations of danger or betrayal or potential harm, especially in, new relationships or even older relationships. There's a feeling of vulnerability, of loss of control, uh, confusion, not knowing what is safe, who is safe. Uh, so of course it's difficult to uh, trust others. And as our texter wrote in, coming from a family where you could not trust others to keep you safe, which is the first uh, place where you should feel safe is in your home with your parents how do you then develop trust in the world? How do you develop trust in others? It can take a lot of work to be able to overcome that. Uh, so it's perfectly understandable that people would shy away from uh, relationships or even get themselves into toxic kinds of situations that perpetuate this, uh, this same uh, cycle. But having experienced trauma could make it be very scary to uh, 
to be with somebody, to get close to people, uh, the, the fear of, of being hurt. Uh, again, for example, uh, you see the world as unsafe. So imagine going through life, seeing the world as unsafe and the world is all the people in the world as well. There could be feelings of uh, anger and helplessness and a, a complete loss of control. Obviously, different traumas can, will affect us differently. A childhood trauma, childhood a trauma of abuse, sexual abuse will uh, will have will be di- will have di- a different um, will look differently. Uh, in relationships then say, uh, you've had your childhood was fine. You have not been traumatized in childhood, but as an adult, you experience some other form of trauma, right? And, and what's the impact of that? So you, there are subtle, uh, there are definitely uh, differences to that, but I'm interested to hear from you if you've experienced any kind of trauma and what, how do you figure the impact was on your life or on your uh, relationships, whether you had a difficult childhood, whether you experienced uh, childhood sexual trauma, whether you experienced trauma in your relationships as in uh, betrayal trauma, uh, because that's a whole other kind of trauma that, of course, has a, a, a quite an impact on uh, on oneself and obviously on Uh, on the relationship. So when people experience trauma, oftentimes they withdraw. They, uh, they isolate themselves from other people. They isolate themselves, uh, from life. They, um, they can feel disconnected and detached from people. Remember you're living in a, in a world that feels unsafe, which obviously means that you can be Uh, you can become very anxious or uh, quite frightened in relationship to, uh, to others. Other people respond by doing quite the opposite being, instead of being detached, they become overbearing, overprotective, um, or even uh, quite dependent. So for example, I was talking to a mom, um, this week who had, who was treated terribly by her parents terribly. And when she had children, she of course vowed, this is, I'm never going to do this, but she went far the other way where she became, um, very over, uh, overprotective where her children are like pushing her away saying like, okay, like it's, it's too much. Right. Uh, but that's a result of that, uh, of having been raised in that kind of, um, of environments. So obviously, the way we react to trauma and the way it affects relationships, uh, varies and it varies over time as well. Whether the trauma happens, um, while you're in a relationship and then how you cope within the relationship with that trauma. Uh, I mean, listen, a trauma can be like the, you know, losing a a loved one, right? That is a traumatic experience. So you can imagine that the healing process, the grief process is very different for, uh, for everybody. It can be several weeks, several months, several years. Um, it can take a while to get back into, uh, a real, into feeling safe again in a, in a relationship and in the world. Um, so all of this, uh, can take time, but why I want to talk about this is that it's to, to be aware that you just don't just get over something like there's going to be an impact. And if you're living with someone who's been traumatized, whether in childhood, 
uh, or in adulthood, you need to be patient and compassionate and try to understand your partner and try to understand what the triggers are and not take a lot of it personally, even though a lot of that will come to you. That's the thing is that uh, that's where the impact is because let's say your partner is detached, you're going to feel the impact of that detachment. You're going to want to get close to your partner. Your partner is uh, in survival mode, in protective mode. Um, and you're going to find that very, uh, very frustrating, for example. And that may trigger, you know, an anger response and then uh, create more detachment. And then you see how this cycle can uh, could happen. So very important that if, if you do experience a, a level of trauma, it's important to seek out help and seek out help together because together the other the other person ends up getting to understand um, what you're going through. Uh, and that knowledge can increase the compassion that your partner has for you. I would love to hear some of uh, your stories. If you've experienced uh, trauma or you have a partner who's experienced trauma and it's been confusing to you or you've had to deal with some of those consequences, how did you cope with that? Because even partners of, of survivors of trauma need support as well. It's not just a trauma survivor that needs support, but everybody in the situation does. Coming up, I want to talk about what, um, going back to the rough childhood and and, and a a traumatic childhood, how that can affect uh, adult relationships. From the pleasure and the politics to the hangups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Discussing the effects of trauma on our adult relationships. Sadly, the reality is that uh, up to one out of four children may experience some form of maltreatment. So that's us as adults. One out of four of us, uh, 20%, uh, 25%, will have experienced some form of childhood trauma. So we're not even talking about adulthood trauma. Mickey joins us on the line. Hi, Mickey. Hi, how are you tonight? Good. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, Just give you a little bit of a background. Right now, I'm a a six-year-old man living alone with my animals. I'm a professional dog walker. Okay. And I live out in the country. And um, I, uh, as far as I I remember, uh, there's there's a lot of, uh, anyways, and this is hard. Uh, it was about 15, 16 years of my life, uh, from uh, two, three to eighteen. I was uh, sexually abused, uh, oh. physically abused, tortured. Um, I've been diagnosed from borderline to PTSD to everything about antidepressants for for a long time, and I end up, uh, you know, hurting myself, cutting myself, and uh, torturing myself. Right. To feel the pain that, uh, but I uh, I was sexually abused by both uh, male and female. Oh my goodness! So, I'm so uh, sorry to hear this. This is, this is, it's terrible. It's terrible what happened to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the but the re- the result, as you say, the, the all those diagnoses, the PTSD and the borderlines. This is mm-hmm. what happens. This is the consequence mm-hmm. 
of, uh, especially with such severe trauma. Are you getting, um, you're getting help now? Are you, uh, have you been in therapy? I, I, uh, I live, uh, uh, I had a doctor who understood me, uh, uh, I was with her for about 25 years in Verdun. Okay, uh, good. And uh, she took retirement, went into a private uh, practice or whatever they call it. Um, I have a psychiatrist out where I live, and uh, he sees me once every two or three years. That's it? Uh, okay. Yeah, well, the only time I get to see a psychiatrist is when I attempt a suicide and I end up in a hospital mm. for two or three months. Have you, do you have any, uh, have you joined any support groups, for example? Uh, there's none out where I live. Uh, uh, when I was living in Montreal, I was uh, with the adult children of abuse. Right, and right. An immense group of with McGill and Concordia. I think. Okay. And, um, well, I have to commend you, first of all, for taking, for, for really um, going out there and finding all the resources for yourself. Yeah, it's very hard out where I live. It's a small town. There's no sliding scale. And the right. Dr. Miller gave me a 1-800 number, and I called, and they gave me um, three different places. And one I had to, would have to cross the Fleuve Saint-Laurent by uh, right. You know what? Are you, uh, you have a computer, Mickey? No, I don't. Uh-oh. I don't have anything modern. I have a, a flip phone. Uh, okay. Um, Do you have a library where you live? It's a very small library. Because usually the libraries have uh, computers that you can access. And I would say even joining some kind of support group online. Yeah, there's, uh, there's pretty hard to, to find anything. And it's hard for me to get out in yeah. public. Yeah. Uh, uh, like I, I said, I walk dogs for a living, and it just keeps me busy. I'm in. Well, that's I'm, good. I'm, keep busy. I'm, that's good. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I keep busy. Keep your um, your body healthy, and this will help your mind as well. But I, I wish there was more we could do for you, Mickey. Really, um, maybe consider you know not living so far out <laughs> and being closer where you have access to services. Yeah, I just feel uh, like you're so isolated. Uh, where I live, it's, you, you can see maybe a social worker one, uh, for six weeks, and then they, they they drop you. And well, usually they see if you are uh, if you're stable, then uh, and you don't really need their help or what have you. But getting yourself involved with uh, with socially is also really important. So There's finding language barrier. I'm I'm uh, from the originally from New Brunswick and, and I, I, yeah. I'm bilingual, but they still treat me like I'm not. Oh, <laughs> it's very really hard to uh, the language barrier and right. Yeah. Listen, I understand, um, but you're gonna have to start thinking about some of the positives that you can do, what you can do, rather than what you can't do, right? Right. So f- keep focusing like that. I mean, it sounds like you are taking charge. You're on the medications, which is really, really important. Yeah. If you have crisis lines, you can call. Do that yeah. when you when you really need to. Reach yeah. out. Don't forget to reach out to people, okay? okay. Find okay. the people in your life who care, and, and don't be afraid to reach out. Not everybody is unsafe. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, Mickey? I feel okay. for you. I really do. Okay. All right. You All right. You be well. Take care. A couple of texts. It's heartbreaking for me when I hear stories like this. Absolutely um, heartbreaking. Uh, Hi, Lori. I grew up in a volatile household. My father was an alcoholic and an abuser to my mother. They divorced when I was about 10. I don't have very many, many memories of my childhood. 
Don't know if I blocked them out. My family was not a loving family that hugged or kissed. My mother has only started to say she loves me in my 40s, and I still find it weird. I find it hard to give and accept affection. I feel bad for my wife, but it is not natural for me. I should probably go see someone. What do you think? I think you're right. I think, uh, first of all, recognizing your issues, recognizing where they come from. That's a big step right there, understanding this. And it's true when you grow up with very little showing of affection. So between your parents or to yourself, it, it certainly doesn't come naturally to be affectionate or to even know how to uh, to receive. And clearly this has had an impact on your, uh, your relationship. You say you feel bad for your wife. She probably has complained over the years that she doesn't, isn't getting uh, some of her needs met. So yes, going for therapy would help. I would even suggest you go with your wife so that she understands kind of where, um, where you're coming from as well. Um, but it's living in an alcoholic home is difficult. Getting support is important. Al-Anon groups are out there for families of, uh, of alcoholics, support groups, um, finding other people who have experienced what you've experienced, which unfortunately is a huge number. You are so not alone. And it's sad to say this really sad to say this. Another texter with, with another quite traumatic uh, here. My wife was date raped, her first experience. We managed through that, but she has been diagnosed with endometriosis and now sex is painful for her and I don't know what to do. So another thing, here you are the, the secondary victim of your wife's victimization um, as well. So your wife should uh, certainly be seeing somebody uh, to deal with the rape. That's, uh, that's number one. With the painful sex, I would say uh, working with a pelvic floor physiotherapist who's, who could make her feel very safe. It's a very safe environment. Uh, can work that pelvic floor to figure out the pain and work out some of the, uh, the tissues and, and all of that. So, uh, that, that would be a very, very, uh, good place, uh, to start talking about, uh, destructive relationships and why we are attracted to destructive relationships when we have had, uh, a rough childhood. We'll discuss that next. Passion with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. Discussing uh, trauma and its impact on relationships on our relationship hour tonight. We have Mike on the line. Hi, Mike. Hi, Lori. How Hi. are you? Good. Thank you for calling Long in. Long time listener, first time calling. Oh, well, welcome. I've had a, a, rough, uh, a rough few years, I guess. I lost my wife five years ago to ovarian cancer. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Uh, if she had lived, we would have been celebrating our 21st wedding anniversary. Oh, so young. She died. She was 48. Oh, my goodness. And uh, and I recently had uh, surgery myself for cancer. Uh, I, lost, I had to remove my right kidney and a 10.6-centimeter cancer tumor. Oh, no, Mike. And uh, so I'm um, basically, I, I had friends sitting me trying to set me up with with ladies and stuff, and I I I try to avoid it because I don't want to put them through what I went through when I lost my wife. Well, uh, so that's I, interesting. You're trying, you're avoiding it to protect them 
from their own hurt rather than letting them make their make up their own minds about whether they want to be with you or not. Yeah, and I, I just uh, I know what I went through. My wife passed away in my arms at Mount Sinai, oh. and it, it it literally destroyed me inside. Oh, for sure. I mean, that is a, a, a huge... I can't think of a bigger trauma than that, other than losing a child, but that's... Uh, that is extremely difficult. And if you're not ready to date... I mean, think of... First, I want you to think about why you don't want to date. Like, do you want to have some companionship? Do you still crave that companionship? Well, my, my late wife, before she passed, she told me to find somebody to be happy and not be alone. It's hard. But you can love more. It won't take away from the love you have uh, for your wife, though. Like being, falling in, even falling in love with someone else does not mean you love your wife any less or that you are betraying her. There was was one lady I was seeing, and I invited her to my home one day for supper, and uh, I had my wife's ashes in an urn. Okay. Uh, uh, and I had my wife, pictures of my wife from when she was a child in the agriculture and stuff. And she basically demanded that I get rid of my wife's ashes and my wife's clothes. Okay, said, well, no. That's I told her I'd get rid of you before yeah. I get rid of my wife's ashes. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, yeah, no, I totally get that. And listen, you may not, Mike, you, you may not yet be ready, and that's okay. That's yeah. okay. Don't let people push you into something you're not ready for just yet. I, I, I have people telling me to get over it. She's gone. You, nobody's, you can't, you know, yeah, they haven't been through it. It's not just something you simply get over, you know, like pull up your socks. Uh, it's over. It's done with. The, the life doesn't have, this is not what pain is about or trauma or loss or, or grief. You, you will always feel that pain just that you will not necessarily feel it as strongly as the years go on. But it doesn't mean you can't have other relationships and other friendships and other uh, companionships, for example. You just need to find the right person who who will understand this. Maybe I would even recommend finding uh, somebody who's been widowed. I mean, I have, I have friends and stuff. Uh, I have male friends and a lot of lady friends. But some of them are interested in me, but I keep telling them no. Uh, okay. I, You're not I, ready. Say, you can just tell them, let's just be friends. I'm ready for friendships. That's it for now. And that's okay. You follow what you what you need for you. Don't let other people push you into something you're not ready for. Mike, I feel for you. Uh, I hope, uh, you know, I hope you, uh, there's no, I can't really say anything. When a loss is a loss, I can't. I just hope you find some healing somewhere and, and some solace and some peace in your life. The thing that gives me any strength to get out of bed in the morning is my dog. Yeah, well, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Mike, I wish you well. Thank you, Lori. All right, thank you so much for calling. Really appreciate it. Oh, wow, this is a hard show. Uh, Lori, I simply don't understand why considering the astounding numbers of existing parental abuse victims, the law doesn't deem it absolutely mandatory for potential parents to necessarily engage in prerequisite and preparatory psychological health and proper parenting awareness courses, which would clearly result in a huge reduction of such staggering number of victims, I'm sure. You are right. Don't we always say that? Like, you know... (laughs) There's, anybody can be a parent, right? But for many other things, you've got to go through a whole bunch of 
you know, tests. But no, anybody can be uh, a parent. Should they be? Absolutely not. Unfortunately, it has such a ripple effect, right? It has such impact later on. Uh, like a lot of people who have come from early, uh, early trauma think that or feel that they're always dating or they end up dating people who are always bad for them. So if you've been traumatized by the key people in your life, those caregivers that are supposed to keep you safe and make you feel loved, unfortunately, unconsciously, we can often find ourselves going towards people who somehow fit this uh, traumatic identity. Okay. And, and it leads to a re-traumatization because we, we tend to repeat the past. So I, I know it sounds crazy, but our unconscious minds work that way that we end up being drawn towards something that a, we deserve. So if we grew up feeling like we were worthless or were made to feel like we were worthless, we're not going to, we're going to seek out people who continue to make us feel that way because that is our story inside. We end up uh, finding people who are emotionally unavailable, who may be abusive, who may be uh, narcissistic, or we end up trying to find people to fix, that we we need to fix them, for example. So that impact is uh, is there, and it's important to recognize it. So if if you recognize these patterns in yourselves, if you say to yourself, how I'm the kind of person that always dates people who are really bad for me, uh, then look at this because something is drawing you into that and it is your history. It is that, uh, that past. So part of it is doing the trauma work, like doing some therapy to heal from that trauma. So you can start making, um, better decisions, of course. And then there are others who forget about relationships. They just avoid relationships altogether. Uh, they completely shy away. They are, uh, they completely stay away from commitments. Uh, they just don't want to do any of that. They, it's their way of kind of breaking that cycle of harmful, uh, relationships. So it can go to one extreme or the other. Uh, Texter writes, it has an impact upon society at large, as well as considering serial killers and whatnot. Oh my God, you are so, you are so right about that. So right. Another texture, um, we were talking about narcissism earlier, which of course can be very traumatic and re-traumatize us if we end up with a narcissist after having already been traumatized in childhood, which is likely, unfortunately, because that's the attraction, uh, is narcissism actually considered a mental illness and or chemical imbalance? And can it be hereditary or environmentally developed via a uh, parental narcissistic role model, for example? So it is considered a mental illness. Narcissistic personality disorder is in the books, like is in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is the psychiatric uh, Bible, basically. But what we know, it's not about chemical. It's much more about nurture versus uh, nature. Could be a parental narcissistic role model. It could also be a very unavailable parent. It could be their own history of neglect, their own history of being um, put down, uh, criticized, abused, their own traumas, which then leads them to feel like they're alone in the world and they can only take care of themselves. And so they develop this, I don't need anybody and I'm going to do this on my own. And so, and, and this is 
could be one way that it could develop. The same way that the codependent develops from that same um, that 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 same basis, actually. So it could go one way or the other. But why does one go this way and one the other way? That's really hard to tell at this point. Uh, we still need quite a bit of research to uh, to determine that. If you want to look at a, a um, there was a, a show, a Netflix show about a narcissist. Uh, what, what was it? Uh, oh my God, I forget the name already. Something John. Um, anyway, you, I'll, I'll think of it and bring it back to you tomorrow night. Uh, but it's really, really good and scary. Really, it's a true story. Uh, thank you so much for listening and spending your time with me. Thank you for sharing your heart, really heartfelt stories uh, with me tonight. Really, really, um, I think it you know was helpful to, to for others to hear that they are not alone either. Uh, thank you to our technical uh, producer, uh, Chris. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, drlori.com. Don't forget, you can always check out our podcast as well. Uh, coming up next here on CJD, the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion.